Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. This episode is a really momentous episode for us as it is our last one discussing the classic drama Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. Yay! But also, boo, we're really sad. <laughs> we did our recap in the last podcast discussion of episodes 75 and 76. In this episode, we will be spending time discussing history and also any last thoughts on the drama regarding themes, the actors, filming stories, etc. Without further ado, let's get started on some history. First up are the pills that the emperor ingested in the last two episodes. These pills, or the act of making these pills, is a form of Chinese alchemy that originates from Taoist teachings. Essentially, you are manipulating and refining various minerals, such as cinnabar and gold, into these pills for various medicinal reasons, but ultimately it's for the purpose of immortality but not just living forever, also staying young forever. The origins of Chinese alchemy is disputed, but it is widely known as a Taoist act and has permeated Chinese history and culture. So you'll see this pop up in various forms, whether it's books, um, TV dramas, shows, movies, it'll always pop up. The elixirs and potions that are created may have had some type of benefit here and there, but are actually oftentimes poisonous. Just think about it. If you are eating any type of cinnabar, which contains mercury, the possibility of being poisoned has just increased. Of the people who would be interested in immortality, emperors are among those lining up for these pills. There is actually a long list of Chinese emperors, and there's even an article on Wikipedia of those who have sought these elixirs or pills for immortality, and many of them have died ingesting these pills. Apparently, it was true to history that Yongzheng, the emperor of this drama, died or potentially died after eating these pills. He was very interested in Chinese alchemy when he was still a prince and spent a significant amount of time trying to develop these pills, which helped him seem calm and uninterested in the throne in the eyes of his father. Remember, there was a heated and deadly dispute of the title of crown prince, so this was Yongzheng's tactic. By seeming uninterested, his father would be less worried about him and make him look more appealing as heir. As the emperor aged and he also had quite a health scare, he continued to follow this fascination with Chinese alchemy and these pills. The cause of his death, which we'll talk about later on, wasn't fully confirmed, but we can reasonably conclude that these pills heavily contributed to his death as he died quite suddenly in 1735. It's interesting to see that this drama, Empresses in the Palace, was able to utilize this from history as a part of the story for the emperor's death in the drama. Another reason why this drama is so fascinating and so great is that the screen writers were able to uh, intertwine fact from history into the story they were trying to tell. Next up, we're going to talk about Gou Yi Furen. 
In episode 75, there was a discussion between the emperor and his court ministers about who should be the heir. There was a suggestion that if the sixth son is selected, the mother, Jin Huan, should be killed. This was to ensure that she does not amass too much power. Though a throwaway line and a rather harsh act of killing the mother of the next emperor, this act actually has a historical anecdote. In the Han Dynasty, the famous Han Wu Di did just that, or he was the one who made the president. He made his youngest son, Liu Foling, the crown prince, but not before killing his mother, Gou Yi Furin. At the time, the emperor, Han Wu Di, was already up in age, but his son was still very young and very bright. His older sons were either killed, died, or not fit to be crown prince, so it was left to his youngest. The emperor recognized that his son will ascend the throne at a young age and will therefore need advisors, but did not want his son's mother, Gou Furin from having that power. So, he had her killed. And uh, Gou Furin in history was no uh, dainty flower. She was a very cunning woman. It's not known how she died, but in TV dramas depicting the story, it's sometimes portrayed as the emperor giving her this option. If she kills herself, her son will be the next emperor. While this is a very cruel act, the Emperor Han Wudi already had experience with Empress Dowagers amassing too much power and wreaking havoc across the empire. He wanted to prevent that from happening, which is why he made this decision. His example is Lu Ho at the beginning of the Han Dynasty. There have been indeed many examples in Chinese history of malevolent Empress Dowagers and women causing the downfall of dynasties. The famous Cixi Taiho or Empress Dowager Cixi is credited for the downfall of the Qing Dynasty. There's some historical debate right now on that, but she is a very famous example. And that is why in this drama, Jin Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace, the Emperor Yongzhong even directly asked Jin Huan how she would feel if she had to die. It was his test to see if she was worthy or would cause harm as Empress Dowager. Of course, there are plenty of women who benefited dynasties and were great advisors to their sons, but still, unfortunately, it was a consideration nonetheless. Let's dive a little bit deeper to discuss the historical figure of Emperor Yongzheng. During the Qing Dynasty, the emperors were more famously referred to by their era name or Nian Hao instead of their Shi Hao or posthumous name as is common for other dynasties, so Yongzheng is his era name. Born in 1678, he was the fourth son of Emperor Kangxi. He won the bloody battle for the throne and ruled from 1722 to 1735. As the fifth emperor of the Qing dynasty, his economic and cultural reforms and military expansion brought relative peace and prosperity to the empire. Some of his accomplishments include increasing farmable land, abolishing the untouchable caste, increasing silver's importance in the Qing economy, defeating the Zungars, and increasing the imperial treasury. The emperor was apparently a very fashionable man and was the first Chinese emperor to wear western clothes. There's actually a painting of him wearing a wig and styled in the Baroque period. 
While he clamped down on Western religion, he did enjoy Western products such as wine and also used glasses in his later years. However, he is somewhat overshadowed in history by the long reigns of his father Kangxi and his son Qianlong. The emperor's efforts laid the foundation for the prosperity of his son's reign, which some say Emperor Qianlong squandered. It doesn't help that Emperor Yongzheng is often portrayed as a cold and ruthless leader, as is done here in this drama. It is historical fact that he killed and imprisoned his brothers and trusted advisors such as Nian Gengyao and Long Keduo, as seen in the drama, which may or may not contribute to his poor image. He had 10 sons, but only 6 were ranked, which means they had survived and named as an Aga and 4 daughters. We've talked at length about his harem, so we won't discuss those ladies here. There are several rumors regarding Yongzheng's sudden death. Historical records only state that he became gravely ill one day and died the next. One rumor is that he was assassinated by a one Lu Sunyang, but that's been mainly brushed off as fiction. The next rumor is that he died of a sudden stroke due to exhaustion. The Emperor Yongzheng was indeed a very fastidious emperor, pushing reforms and working long hours. We see in the drama that he's often reading reports and meeting with ministers on matters of state. And this seems to be the most accepted rumor. A third rumor is, as we've discussed earlier, that he died from eating poisonous Chinese alchemy pills. There's another rumor that in his later years, he spent more time in bed uh, cavorting with his concubines to a point where he had erectile dysfunction. He decided to eat different medicine and aphrodisiacs to um, fix the problem, which ultimately contributed to his death. These are, of course, all just rumors, but I personally do think overexhaustion probably did contribute to his early death. But I will say, I think all three, except for the one about Lu Sunyang, the three rumors that we just stated, were kind of depicted in the drama. As for Chinese drama appearances, Emperor Yongzheng reached his peak popularity in 2011 when he was heavily featured in four dramas, Jin Huan Zhuan, Bu Bu Jingxing, Gong Suo Xinyu, and Gong Suo Zhulian. Still, his drama appearances pale in comparison to his father and son, who are extremely popular and most notable. Next up, let's discuss Jin Huan or her real-life counterpart. She is known to history by her clan name of Niu Hulu. Born in 1692, she married the fourth prince, the future emperor Yongzheng in 1704, and birthed the fourth son Hongli in 1711. So in history, there's none of this uh, adoptive mother thing. That's not true. She is the emperor Qianlong's birth mother. She became consort Si or Sifei when the emperor ascended the throne, and became noble consort Si or Si Guifei in 1730. When the empress died in 1731, Si Guifei ran the imperial harem, but was never elevated to the empress consort during her lifetime. When her husband died, when Emperor Yongzheng died in 1735, she was elevated to the title of Empress Dowager, or Tai Ho. Her son, now Emperor Qianlong, 
built Shou Kanggong for her, and that became the residence of the Empress Dowagers moving forward. In the drama, the uh, original Empress Dowager, or mother of Emperor Yongzheng, already lived there, but that palace didn't exist during Emperor Yongzheng's rule. This Empress Dowager, or Zhen Huan, in history is most notable for her close relationship with her son. He would take his mother during official visits across the empire. During her 80th birthday, the 60-year-old emperor still performed for his mother. One could say that her family had very good genes because her father, herself, and her son all lived extremely long lives. She died in 1777 at the ripe old age of 85, making her the oldest empress dowager in Chinese history. As the mother of Qianlong, she played an outsized role in his life, but he was a very respectful and doting son. She is prominently featured in many, many dramas, especially those that focus on Emperor Qianlong, such as Huan Zhu Ge Ge or My Fair Princess, Ru Yi Zhuan, and of course, Yanxi Gong Lue, the story of Yanxi Palace. There's hilarious memes about her because of Jin Huan Zhuan, and fans have placed Jin Huan in the same universe as My Fair Princess or the story of Yanxi Palace. And uh, some of these stories include memes of like, with uh, Jin Huan just staring haughtily at people saying, you kids have nothing on me. I vanquished like level nine foes. Don't bother me with your childish games. Or if in a drama she's not portrayed as being intelligent, fans will scoff and say, mm, Jin Huan has lost her touch. Okay, well, we have just talked about the emperor and Jin Huan from the drama, but what about Jin Huan's sixth son? Hong Yan. Hong Yan is the youngest son of Yongzheng, born in 1733 and was just four years old when his older brother ascended the throne. Due to his young age, I don't think he was in serious contention for the throne. Um, and so I think that discussion was added in the drama for dramatic purposes. His mother was Tianfei and therefore did not share the same mother as Tianlong Emperor. The most interesting fact to me about this prince is that in history, he did indeed move over to become the son of Guo Qin Wang or the 17th prince, as was described in this drama. You could say that the 17th prince or Guo Qin Wang was his adoptive father. Of course, the relationship between the 17th prince and Jin Huan was fabricated for this drama, but this is another example of how the screenwriters were able to intertwine history with the story they were trying to tell. In his youth, the 6th prince was a favored younger brother by the emperor Qianlong, uh, which made sense given their large uh, age difference, and was given large responsibilities. However, as he grew older, he became more arrogant, corrupt, and disrespectful of imperial power. His brother, the emperor, tiring of his antics, stripped away his power, which caused Hong Yan to fall seriously ill. Due to this big blow, he never fully recovered and sadly died at the young age of 33. Lastly, as historical figures go, We'll touch briefly on Emperor Qianlong. I'm sure we'll probably do a drama about him in the future, so we'll discuss him more in the context of his father, 
mother, grandfather, and siblings here. Born in 1711, he was the sixth emperor of the Qing dynasty, and his era name is Qianlong, so we will refer to him as that. Before ascending the throne, his name was Hongli. The rumor is that when Qianlong was 10 years old in 1721, his grandfather, Emperor Kangxi, met the boy and took an instant liking to him. The boy was ordered to move to the palace and grow up under the tutelage of court ministers and professors. It is said that the boy's performance tipped some favor towards his father when the Emperor Kangxi died. By the time his father ascended the throne, Qianlong's older brother, the third prince, had lost favor with the emperor, and the emperor Yongzheng secretly tipped him to be his successor. His name was written in a secret edict that was stored behind the tablet over the throne in the Palace of Heavenly Purity, and it was this edict that was read when Emperor Yongzheng died. He married as his wife a member of the Fu Cha clan in 1727 and as his second consort a member of the Ulanala clan. These two are accurate in the drama and, of course, very much part of the plot for Yanxi Gonglue, or the story of Yanxi Palace. Qianlong was promoted to Prince of the First Rank under the title of Bao Jin Wang. As we mentioned earlier, he had a loving relationship with his mother and fulfilled his filial piety duties to the nines. It is quite rare to see such a devoted mother-son relationship in Chinese history, especially amongst emperors, but here we have a wonderful example. He didn't have many male siblings, so he didn't have to contend with them for the throne, as his father did. As we said earlier, he favored his younger brothers and was lenient to a degree. He actually released and pardoned some of his uncles who plotted against his father's throne. Many of them were getting on in age, so they didn't really pose a threat, and he won brownie points for his reputation. He is the longest living emperor and ruled for a whopping 60 years. He abdicated after 60 years, stating that he didn't want to rule longer than his grandfather, Emperor Kangxi, but nonetheless held onto power for another two years. He died in 1799 at the age of 89. Again, really good genes, and that's quite a feat. 89? Impressive. Yeah, in 1799 too, those were some magical genes. <laughs> so we have some final thoughts. The lasting impact of this drama cannot be overstated. Despite not having the highest ratings when it first premiered, it is now heralded as the classic palace drama in the last decade. Chen Huanzhuan clearly established palace customs and norms for viewers who may not have been too familiar with the palace titles. For example, this drama clearly delineates what it means to be a consort or fei or a noble lady or guiren. The drama clearly states what the various levels are and how to achieve a higher status in the palace. This is useful knowledge for all other palace dramas, and many dramas never made this very clear, so the titles were often a jumbled mess that was not accurate in history. An example is going to be Huan Zhu Gege or My Fair Princess. Now, these titles are much clearer and viewers take this knowledge gained from Jin Huan Zhuan to other dramas and allow those dramas to not have to explain court titles and schemes uh, as clearly as they did here. So it's right now just common knowledge. 
At least that's how I felt watching more palace dramas after watching Empresses in the Palace. It was the same when discussing, of course, the concept of di shu, or the status of the firstborn and anyone who is not the firstborn, or anyone not born from the main wife. This societal norm caused so much pain and anguish for many people in the palace, particularly the empress, who always struggled against her birth of being a secondary or shu chu daughter. This concept was made explicitly clear throughout the drama and therefore brought about a level of understanding to us viewers of this antiquated societal guideline. This concept will be revisited even more heavily in our next drama, the story of Minglan, and that drama is literally all going to be about Di Shu. One theme that was heavily emphasized throughout the drama and was a hidden constraint for almost everyone was family. The Empress Dowager Tai Ho knew that the Empress killed many women in the palace and even many of her grandchildren, but ultimately decided to protect the Empress in order to maintain power of her clan. That's a really big sacrifice to make. Jin Quan had to return to the palace because her father was sick while in exile and she had no means of saving her father or her family except for relying on a man she hated and therefore returned to the palace. Hua Fei benefited from having a powerful brother that she could lean on but was manipulated because of her family and connections. Each person is tied to how his or her family behaves or where they come from, and it's very difficult to change the fact that you're tied to those families. So, family was always a hidden force and can oftentimes be seen as a restriction that drove many actions of our characters, and I feel is a key trait of Chinese society. I feel like this is also why it was heavily emphasized throughout this drama and throughout Chinese history that the imperial harem should not be involved in politics. The familial connections are too strong and can have lasting and devastating impacts to a dynasty or an empire if brought about by the wrong type of family. Additionally, it is easy to be immersed in the glitz and the glamour of these palace dramas, the clothes, the hair, the accessories, the shoes, the makeup, the instruments, the jewelry, all of it is beautifully presented to us in these TV dramas. It was also wildly popular for a time for characters from modern day to travel back in time to various dynasties to live out their lives in, in dramas. So while yes, the production of these dramas and the stories they tell are gripping, what I've learned most from these dramas and this one in particular is how restrictive Chinese society was just a few hundred years ago, and actually probably like a hundred years ago. Now, I don't want to get into politics about what's going on today, but seeing how difficult it was for a woman to make her way in the world and the societal restrictions placed on women during this time period should push us viewers to reflect on the changes we benefit from today. Beyond the history and themes of the drama, the drama also either started the careers of many of the actresses or was the pinnacle of popularity for others. Sun Li, the actress for Zhen Huan, Cai Shaofen, the actress for The Empress, and Jiang Xin, the actress for Hua Fei, 
all exploded in popularity from this drama. We've mentioned previously, but for each of them, when on a reality TV show or being addressed by fans, people will call them Niang Niang as the affectionate title of a consort or empress. It's been 10 years and that is still true. A classic line that Huafei says, which roughly translates to bitches are crafty, excuse my language, is said all over the internet and we all know where it comes from. There's another one, the line that Jinhuan utters in episode 76 that has taken a life of its own. It's simply a declaration of who she is, but she fully comes to her own. She is a badass. Now in pop culture, whenever someone wants to say she is a badass, she will just say, or the comments will say that she is Hulu X, Y, and Z. Each of these ladies, I would say, have had relatively successful careers and uh, made relatively successful dramas since Empresses in the Palace, but I would think that those dramas did not become as classic as this one. However, each of these ladies is still considered a staple in the Chinese entertainment industry with incredible acting capabilities. Other women such as Tang Yixin, who played Qi Pin, Mao Xiaotong, who played Ying Guiren, and Tan Songyun, who played Chuan Er, were all incredibly young while filming this drama and have now each achieved a certain level of success, some more than others, but I would say they all had their start from Jin Huan Zhuan, and that they are now where they are thanks to this drama. Sun Li, the actress for Jin Huan, was born in 1982 in Shanghai. One of the most famous actresses today, she had her start from a drama called Yu Guanyin, or Goddess of Mercy, in 2003, that showcased her acting abilities and brought her to the forefront of people's minds. Since then, she has acted in several high-quality films and dramas. Her notable dramas include a remake of the famous Shanghai Tan, or Shanghai Bund, in 2007, Jin Huan Zhuan, or Empresses in the Palace, in 2011 here, the Legend of Mi Yue in 2015, and Nothing Gold Can Stay in 2017. Her notable films include Fearless or Huo Yuanjia with Jet Li in 2007, shameless plug, it has an amazing soundtrack, Painted Skin Hua Pi in 2009, and Shadow Ying in 2018. She has won numerous awards for her various roles and was even nominated for an International Emmy Award for this drama, Empresses in the Palace. Sun Li is married to a fellow well-known actor named Deng Chao and has two children. They're a very cute couple. Sun Li primarily focuses on acting right now, while Deng Chao is also involved in several reality TV shows. He's also a really good actor, but he's definitely diversified outside of acting in recent years. Without spending too much more time on Sun Li, I just want to thank her for creating such a classic role and bringing it to us in the form of Jin Huan. I don't think anyone could have done a better job than her, and this will be her defining and classic drama of her career. As for the actor for The Emperor, his name is Chen Jianbin, born in 1970 in the Xinjiang province. 
Even before this drama, he was a well-established actor and, like Sun Li, has won numerous awards before and since Chen Huanzhuan. He is married to one of the most gorgeous women in the Chinese entertainment industry, or at least I like to think so, Jiang Qinqin. We've mentioned this before that Jiang Qinqin looks similar to Sun Li, and so everyone jokes that Jiang Qinqin is actually Chun Yuan from the drama. And while many fans were confused and angry at this casting choice when the drama first came out because Chen Jianbin is not as handsome as some would have liked, I think he did a phenomenal job portraying an overall stoic but calculating and suspicious emperor. This pancake face uncle, I think, was more or less true to what a real emperor would look like and behave like, not like a lot of the uh, modern-day romance dramas that we would like to think have handsome men uh, wooing these young women. Right, like we said before, when the emperor ascended the throne, he was already in his 40s, so it doesn't make sense to have like a young 20-some-year-old act the emperor at this point. From a production perspective, one cannot deny the beauty and detail on the costumes, hair, set, and makeup. Each individual had distinctive outfits befitting of their title and period of life. Something else to highlight, though, is the voice dubbing. The voice dub for Jin Huan is done by a woman named Ji Guansen. While she dubbed many voices previously, her voice dub for Jin Huan is so iconic that whenever you hear her voice dub in another drama, many people, me included, are like, oh, that's Jin Huan's voice. This definitely happened a couple of times in modern dramas where people say that they're getting confused hearing Jin Huan's voice while seeing another person's face. One could say this is uh, listening fatigue of the same voice actors over and over, but I thought it's quite funny. Fortunately or unfortunately, within uh, the Chinese drama community, you oftentimes get the same people voice dubbing over different characters, so you will hear similar voices for many different roles. Folks thought when the drama first came out that uh, there was no voice dub because Ji Guansen's voice is very similar to Sun Li's, but were obviously surprised to hear that it was dubbed. Apparently, Sun Li was quite frustrated in having her voice dubbed in Jin Huanzhuan and also subsequently The Legend of Mi Yue. Apparently in that drama, um, in The Legend of Mi Yue or Mi Yue Zhen, she tried really, really hard to enunciate and have a really good presentation when she was speaking and was really disappointed to find out in the final production that her real voice wasn't used. And so you'll notice in the following drama, she is actually using her real voice. I'm pretty sure she put her foot down and said, I'm only doing this if I can use my real voice. And that's what they did. Some background about the filming of the show. Filming began on September 18, 2010 at Jietai Si on the outskirts of Beijing. It is a beautifully preserved Buddhist temple that was built during the Tang Dynasty in 644. The cast and crew stayed in Beijing and shot the scenes for the temple at Jietai Si and the summer palace at Beijing Da Guanyuan, which is a replica garden of the famous Da Guanyuan 
and was built for filming of Holomong or Dream of the Red Chamber in 1984. You can actually go and visit these places uh, today. Filming then transferred to Hongdian World Studios for the palace interior scenes. Finally, the cast then traveled back to Beijing to finish some temple scenes and the ice skating scene, which was filmed actually near the Summer Palace. Filming lasted for 132 days, wrapping filming on January 30th, 2011. Um, Karen, don't you think that's extremely fast? For 76 episodes, that's amazing. There were over 1,800 scenes filmed, and the main actress herself, Sun Li, had approximately 960 scenes where she had to be a part of. And that is a wrap for Hou Gong Zhen Huan Zhuan, Empresses in the Palace. To us, it's been an incredible journey to talk about the show after having watched it so many times and really just coming up with the idea of saying, hey, why don't we start a podcast about this? I've certainly learned many things from this drama and hope that you, the listener, did too. If you have any additional comments or questions, always feel free to reach out to us. There is technically a sequel to this drama that is called Ruyi's Love in the Palace or Ruyi Zhuan. The main character we already met briefly in this drama and that is Qingying. She is the niece of the Empress. The sequel follows the love story between Qingying and the fourth prince, which was retconned to fit the story. In this drama, Jin Quanzhuan, they didn't really have any real emotional connection between them, but in the sequel, they love each other deeply. The sequel mentions some of the events from Jin Quanzhuan, but largely follows a separate path. I thought it was all right, but definitely not as classic as Jin Quanzhuan, and if you can believe it, even more depressing and sad. It's not necessarily a drama I go back to and rewatch all the time like I do Jin Quanzhuan, but that's just me. The acting is pretty good. I'll say the acting, the um, costumes, and the set design are really, really good. Probably even better than Jin Huan Zhuan. But I think it's just the story, and the real-life story is, is not happy. So, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can read what happens in history, and you will kind of see what uh, to expect. You will be depressed and cry even more tears than you did for Jin Huan Zhuan. Well, next up, we are going to be discussing the Song Dynasty drama, the story of Ming Lan, Zhi Fou, Zhi Fou, Ying Shi, Lu Fei, Hong Shou. Stay tuned and thanks again so much for your support of this podcast. We will catch you in the next episodes.